Today's scripture reading is being read from 1 Peter, the second chapter, verses 21 through 25. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Good morning. I've been praying that this study will be very edifying to you. Also say congratulations for waking up this morning and being here. So it's kind of tough when the time changes, but you, you made it for the assembly. You've done very, very good. This morning we'll be looking at the subject of Isaiah 53. Again, we're going to conclude our, our brief series on this study. Last week we looked in Isaiah 52 and verses 13 through 15, and then the first six verses of Isaiah 53. This morning we'll be looking at Isaiah 53, 7 through 12. I love Isaiah. To me, it is, um, it's like a New Testament book in the Old Testament. It's the 28th book of the New Testament in a way. It is the fifth gospel, if you want to put it that way. And there's a lot about Christ here in the text and things that can uh, edify us and uplift us and encourage us. And so this morning, we're going to look at this. When I read Isaiah 53, it breaks down into two different parts there. We've got a lot there of what Christ is saying about his sacrifice and him giving himself in Isaiah 53, 7 through 9. And then the last three verses, 10 through 12, you have a lot about God's will. What also stands out to me in this scripture is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel. It's of first importance according to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And when you look here in Isaiah 53 and you got your Bibles open already, look at verse 8. Verse 8, this is a prediction. 700 years before Jesus was born, this prediction came. So it should be encouraging to your faith to read this. But look at verse 8 there. If you have your Bibles open, Isaiah 53. He says there that he was cut off from the land of the living, right? And then in verse 9, it says, They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man. Just like the Gospels say and predicted, he was buried with Joseph of Arimathea. And then number 3, in verse 10, it says, and his days are prolonged. In fact, verse 12 even says, he makes intercession for us. The Christ, the Messiah, God's servant who died for us. And I take that as an inference of the resurrection. And there you see the death, burial, and resurrection, the predictions of Christ. We want to have a greater understanding of, of Isaiah. And as I mentioned last week, there's an account in the New Testament that's very encouraging to me. So if you open your Bibles to Acts 8, I will come back to Isaiah 53. But in Acts chapter 8, you see here a man riding in a chariot. He's sitting in the chariot. And he's riding south. He's coming from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And he's heading to Ethiopia, where he is the treasure of Ethiopia. I imagine today, as far as I know, there's still no road that would connect Israel directly through the desert to Ethiopia. I would imagine you would take that same road, that same route along the coast to get there. And so 
an angel comes to a man named Philip who has the Holy Spirit and he sends him and he says, I want you to go down to that road. I imagine Philip gets there before the chariot does. A chariot's coming by and he's able to see the Ethiopian eunuch there, the treasure of, for the queen of Ethiopia, reading Isaiah, reading that scroll. It'd be expensive to own that. And here he is sitting there reading that text. I think we can relate to that. And what an excellent opportunity to evangelize. So Philip goes up and he joins with him on that chariot. And this is what we read in Acts 8, 30 to 31. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So Philip gets up into that chariot. And what was he reading? He was reading Isaiah 53, 7 through 8. So this morning, I think we see a lot of benefits just in that account in Acts chapter 8, how Philip gave understanding to this man regarding Isaiah. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. I also want to bring this out in Isaiah 53. This morning, I want to bring seven things that I find that are very useful to us. Uses for Isaiah 53. And the first four are this. The first thing I have to see here, Isaiah 53, is that it increases one's faith in Christ. It's, it's what helped the Ethiopian eunuch to become a Christian. To say, what hinders me from being baptized and for him going down in the water? His faith was based upon that and seeing that Christ fulfilled this prophecy. And my conviction was that when I was in, in school, we had a lot of studies on these little minute details. I guess it's still in school, but my undergrad, these little details of the Bible. And there are a lot of questions that a lot of the students, the Bible students had about the scriptures. And talking to one of my friends there in the school, he said, listen, we're trying to prove this and prove that and prove all these different things about the Bible. And he says, but if you prove the book, you prove all of it. If you prove Christ, you prove it all. And we can, we can get into all these different details, but Isaiah 53 is one of those wonderful passages we can go to to encourage us to say, I believe in Christ, and this is why. This prophecy, this prediction. And because I believe in Christ, I believe in God, and I believe in the Scriptures. I believe in the Bible. I believe in His system of salvation. I believe in the church that He said He was going to build and how He built it. I have all that. So that's the use of Isaiah to convince us, to give us faith in Christ and much more. Number two, in chapter 53, we have persuasive evidence and proof for evangelizing others. We see that in Acts 2. This is an excellent passage to teach the gospel, to prove the gospel, to persuade others to obey the gospel, and to do what is spoken here. Number three, the text is useful for teaching the gospel, that is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. Prediction 700 years before Christ, here it is. Believe it. And I think, to me, why I love the book of Isaiah so much, and Isaiah 53 is number four. Isaiah 53, it stirs deep convictions and emotions when you read it. To worship God, to look at Christ with awe, to thank God for His salvation. So I encourage you this morning, you have your Bible and you open it. Even if you just let it sit there in Isaiah 53, look at that text and read it and study it. This is what we see that's true about Isaiah 53. Isaiah says that when this servant comes and he's going to suffer death, he's not going to open his mouth for those who bring accusations against him. 
And guess what we read in the Scriptures? We see that. We see that in the Gospels, Matthew 26, 62 and 63. Uh, we have Jesus standing before the high priest, Caiaphas, in, a, in front of the whole Jewish Supreme Court, as it was illegally convened that night. And they are gathered together, and they are, have witnesses coming in, bringing accusations against Jesus. And when they examine them, they are found to be false. And yet the high priest turns to Jesus and says, What do you say for yourself? Do you not answer these accusations? And the Scripture says, Jesus, remain silent. And then Christ goes from that group and he stands before Pilate. And there in front of Pilate now, the chief priests come in and they make accusations against Jesus, one after another. And Pilate turns to him and he says, uh, and asks him, you have anything to say about these accusations? And what does the scripture say? Mark 15, three through five, Jesus made no further answer. Now, when he, when he was asked in the Scripture, who are you? Jesus did say, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds in the Gospel of Mark. But when they made accusations against him in this trial, Jesus did not respond. Furthermore, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod. Remember that in the Gospel of Luke? And so Luke asked Jesus questions, and others come in, the chief priests, and they again make accusations against Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? Luke 23 and verse 9, he made no answer. That gives me a lot of courage. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've had false accusations against yourself. What do you want to do? You want to defend yourself. You want to say, I didn't do that. And you might not be able to say anything to convince anybody else that the evidence could be stacked against you. You could have a number of people who are telling things that are not true about you and there's nothing you can do. And that is very much what Christ faced here. But he didn't answer. He let the accusations stand, and we're going to see that this is a part of his will, that Christ allowed himself to go through his suffering to redeem us and to save us. All right, now let's go to our reading for this morning. Isaiah 53, and we're going to read verses 7 through 9. We'll make some observations on the text, and then we'll finish the chapter as well. So Isaiah 53 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like sheep, that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. And although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. So there we, receive, we see Christ. We see the oppression against him. We see his death. We see his burial in these passages. And they should be encouraging and stirring to us. You can hear the emotion here. You can see the conviction here. He opened not his mouth. Everything was put against him. He bore our transgressions, and there was not any deceit in his mouth. When um, Brother Dutch read for us this morning from 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter is constantly throughout 1 Peter 2, 21 through 24, and the whole of 1 Peter, he's continually quoting from Isaiah 53. So here are some, some observations we can make from Isaiah 53, 7 through 9. We see Jesus did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to slaughter. The servant endured oppression and judgment. He was cut off from the land of the living, and the servant had a grave with a wicked and a rich man. Even critical scholars today, the, most of them, Admit Jesus was buried and buried in a tomb and that Joseph of Arimathea, he is a man you could not make up. 
took Jesus' body down from the cross and laid it in the tomb. And three days later, it was found empty. Even we have hostile records in Matthew 28 that teach us that, that it tells us the Jews were trying to explain away the empty tomb by saying someone had stolen the body of Jesus. But here we see that. We see it predicted in prophecy 700 years before Jesus was born. That's amazing. And we see again, Jesus had no deceit in his mouth. He was sinless and pure. And then before we read Isaiah 53, 10 through 12, notice these observations as well. This is what I see there and see if I'm right. God's will was for his servant to be crushed. It was God's will. It was his intention to send Jesus to be sinless and to die for us. God's servant made an offering for guilt and he bore the sins of the many. That was God's plan. That was his intention from the very beginning that these sinful people need God to come in the flesh, to live a sinless life, to die a death he didn't deserve, die a death that we deserve. And therefore Christ conquered that death. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, death could not hold him, so he rose from the dead. See, it's because of our sins that we die. Adam and Eve, we see it from the very beginning. They would not have died unless they had committed sin. Christ came, the seed of the woman, and overcame that. Genesis prophesies that in Genesis 3 and verse 15. We see here, and you notice in the text, that the servant will prolong his days. He will take up his own life. And the Scriptures will say that God raised Jesus. God the Father did. The Scriptures say the Holy Spirit raised Jesus, and Jesus rose himself. And he will make intercession for us. And then lastly, what stands out to me, the righteous will make others righteous. We needed Christ to come to be righteous, to make us right before God. Let's read the text now. Let's see what observations we make from Isaiah 53, 10 through 12. It says, And yet it was the will of God to crush him. He put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Remember, he had died and been in the grave. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Remember, Jesus was crucified between two robbers. And yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. And now Christ there is at the right hand of God. He intercedes on our behalf. But we come to him and we believe in him and we obey the gospel and we do what he's done. We die to our sins. We're buried in baptism. We rise up and we live in newness of life. We live a faithful life. And to the very end, there's forgiveness for us. When I look over this passage, one thing stands out to me, and different things are going to stand out to different people. What stands out to me is that Jesus was satisfied with what he did. He was glad to do it. He wanted to do it. He saw there was no other way, even in his prayer in the garden to God. He said, your will be done, as we read right here in Isaiah chapter 53. Jesus was satisfied with his offering. God's servant chose to die. In fact, it makes me think of what Jesus said in John 10. Listen to what Christ declared. John 10, 17, 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from the Father. Christ did it himself. He chose to do it. He had the authority from God to do it. This morning, as we look over that text again, I encourage you, use Isaiah 53. Use it in the way that the Ethiopian eunuch did to convert himself. Use it in the way that Philip did to teach others the gospel. You may say, I don't know much that I could teach someone else the truth and teach them the gospel. Well, you know this. You know how you were saved if you're a Christian. You know the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that's when you can tell someone. You can open up your Bible to Isaiah 53 and simply go through it and read it and say, this is what Jesus did. This is what he did for you. He died for you. And he was buried and he rose again. I see these other uses here in Isaiah 53. We see more details about Jesus' death. You know, you go over to the Gospels, and the Gospels, they say, and Jesus was scourged, but they don't tell you about the whip and how long it was and how it was made and how long they scorched him. And they tell you about how he was mocked and, and beaten, but they don't tell you how many times he was beaten or how much, they, how much pressure they put upon the crown of thorns on his head. And when Jesus got to Golgotha and he was nailed to the cross, the Bible simply says he was crucified. They don't describe the nails, how long they were, or what kind of wood he was crucified on, or what shape the cross was on. Now, we think about those things and we study those things from history, but the Bible just simply says in all the Gospels he was crucified. In Isaiah 53, we have more details of that anguish and what Christ went through for you, for us. So I think about those uses in Isaiah 53. And I think these last two points may be the most important about Isaiah 53. So number six, we use Isaiah 53 because it helps us realize Christ's offering his sacrifice for my sin, for me personally. Christ died for me. As Romans 5.8 says, he loved me while I was yet a sinner and died for me. We see his offering. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that the death of Christ should compel us. It should motivate us and stir us. And when we look at our spiritual lives and trying to draw near to God, if we find weakness and we find we're struggling and find that we are drifting away, this is a passage we can read. We can see the emotion there of God and of Christ and the writer of what was being done. If the death of Christ doesn't compel you, and I've said this before, I don't know what else will. I stand in awe of what Jesus has done, what God has done for us. And that brings me to number seven. Reading Isaiah, it brings peace to my soul because of my guilt and my own sins. I know that I have someone who loves me, who's willing to die for me, who will save me and who has done everything he could. If simply I would believe in him and follow him with all my heart. This morning, I encourage you to think about the gospel, what we've read here in Isaiah. Maybe this is what you will experience, what we read here in Acts chapter 8. So Philip comes upon the Ethiopian eunuch as we start in Acts chapter 8, and he was reading from Isaiah 53, 7 through 8. And the eunuch asked, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And that's the question. That's the question we want to ask the whole world. Who was Isaiah 53 talking about? It doesn't matter if you claim to be an atheist or a skeptic or whoever you might be, a Buddhist or Muslim, whoever you are, here's Isaiah 53. We look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Septuagint, it's already been in existence for hundreds of years before Jesus came. Who else could this prophecy be speaking about? And that is exactly what the Ethiopian eunuch is asking Philip. And what does Philip do? Acts chapter 8, verse 35, And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. We can do the same. 
And listen to this. He tells them the gospel about Jesus. And what conclusion does the Ethiopian eunuch come to? See, there's a lot of people at different churches today who will tell you, and they will try to minimize this next step right here. They'll say it's not necessary for salvation or it's done in a different way. Listen to what the Scripture says. He teaches him, he preaches to him the good news about Jesus from this Scripture, and they were going along the road, and they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So when we teach the gospel of Christ, and we're teaching from Isaiah 53, we can't help but tell others about baptism. Baptism is a part of the gospel. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. When Jesus rose from the dead, he commanded baptism in his name. He said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Mark 16 and verse 16. When Peter preached the gospel in Acts chapter 2, the day the church was established, he preached the death, the burial, and resurrection. He proved the resurrection of Christ. And the people said, what must we do to be saved? And he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 and verse 38. Here we see it again. Teaching the gospel means teaching baptism. This morning I challenge you as we conclude, use Isaiah 53. Use it to proclaim. Use it to stir. Use it to persuade. That's why God has given it to us. God has given you this scripture. Why do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? One of your answers could very well be, you can confess, because I believe Isaiah 53. That's what the Ethiopian eunuch would have said. And I encourage you this morning, thank God for promising and sending Christ to die and rise for us. We give you an invitation this morning. You've heard the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. We've studied it throughout Isaiah 53. It's right there in the text. And the Bible says, if you don't obey the gospel, you cannot be saved. It is the power of God to salvation. But how do you obey the gospel when it's Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? It's you. You die to your sins. You're buried in his death through baptism, and you rise up out of that waters in a new life. That's when your sins are washed away. I encourage you this morning. If you haven't been baptized, you can ask just the same thing the Ethiopian eunuch said. What hinders me from being baptized? And you can confess Christ, and you can go down in the water. If you've been struggling, you've already been baptized, you're struggling with sin, there's a passage right before this that tells us how to address sin after we've become Christians. Here, Simon the sorcerer wants to buy a gift from the apostles, and Peter confronts him and rebukes him, and he says to him, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. This morning, if your heart has gone astray from God, repent. Come back to him. If you need to be baptized, obey the gospel, do it. We can encourage you in any way you want to do that. I'm glad you're here this morning. Whatever your needs may be, we encourage you to come right now while we stand and while we sing. Please come.